Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? Oh, really good, man. Got uh, went on that steelhead fishing trip last week and had a blast floating with my brother and good friend. And um, yeah, back, got home for the weekend, hung out with the kids, did, did a bunch of playing and then some yard work. And yeah, now it's Monday off to uh, Thanksgiving, Black Friday. It's kind of going to get busy here for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, how was the weather on that trip? I remember in years past, it's been sometimes miserable could be cold and then obviously wet and i remember yeah, like years ago yeah. you were even testing the the first dry bags on that i trip. was yeah yeah the first uh first dry bag inserts were tested on that trip uh it was good actually yeah i mean the forecast was basically calling for 50 percent rain every day with lows around 30 highs around 40 um which is like literally you're in waders on a river all day long so it's just it's just cold down in the canyon you know um, we did not see the sun for the entire trip till the, till the very end of the, as we're literally pulling the boats out of the water, did the sun come out? Um, so it's, it's actually a good, it's very similar to late season hunting where you just have to do a really good job managing, um, managing your system, you know, just kind of being thoughtful, uh, being proactive about like how you're setting up camp, how you're tearing down camp. I mean, a good example is one day it was, we got to where we were going to camp for the night, but it was raining. And so I just left everything in the dry bags and then the rain eventually stopped. Um, but it was after dark, but then I went and set up my tent and that way my tent was dry, you know, just like a, a little thing like that of, um, just trying to manage and keep things as dry as possible. Uh, my sleeping bag, um, got to really test the waterproof down, uh, water resistant down on it. Cause it just every single day, you know, cause you're just waking up with condensation. So every single day it just gets a little bit wetter, a little bit wetter, a little bit wetter. And by the end of it, it was, you know, probably lost about half of its lofts. Um, but one thing I was trying to do to keep it from getting too bad was not compressing it up too much inside the dry bags, just trying to keep it lofted inside the dry bag. Um, but you know, even, Simple things like um, uh, tearing down camp in the morning, um, you know, I basically would get in the like the minimalist layers as I could and be comfortable, tear down camp. And then right before we jump in the boat, I'd set all my clothes aside that I was going to wear. And then right before we get in the boat, put all those on. Right. So I didn't I didn't over sweat uh, in the morning, um, getting everything torn down and loaded up and then. That way, you're, then you put on nice, dry, warm clothes right before you're about to get cold. So definitely a lot of stuff that carries over and applies. Same things that I do on a on a late season hunt. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's one of those things you don't get. You know, I was just thinking of the sleeping bag, which something we do on a hunt is like air out your shelter if it has condensation or your sleeping mm-hmm. bag, but you don't get that chance on this trip, right? Oh Maybe yeah, you're just on the water. Just, yeah, you're just on the water. We we uh, roll up camp just first thing in the morning. There's so many, you know. Uh, so many miles of river that we got to float every day and the days are short. So it's, um, you know, you basically get up early, get some coffee and then tear down camp and get it loaded up. So you can kind of get a good amount of fishing and cover some river miles. So, Hmm. um, yeah, you're basically setting up and tearing down in the dark nonstop unless, unless we got to a campsite early, but yeah. You mentioned uh, this week, obviously, Black Friday and Thanksgiving. Uh, as we mentioned on the prior Monday Minute podcast, we'll have our only sale of the year for Exo Mountain Gear. I didn't say what that was, uh, but I think we can let the cat out of the bag now. It's going to be 15% uh, percent off across the board on pack systems, accessories, logo gear. Um, so that's like, I mean, basically right at $100 on a 4800 uh, K3 4800 pack system, for example. Um, so definitely a good time to save if you guys are interested. 
uh, as I said, only sale of the year, and that'll kick off on Friday. Or if you do receive our emails, uh, you actually get an email some point on Thursday later in the day, so it kind of can get in a little bit early um, if you're receiving our emails. If you don't yet receive those, you can just go sign up real quick at exomountaingear.com forward slash newsletter. So again, that'll be kicking off here later this week. One thing we meant to cover in the prior Monday Minute, Steve, but uh, didn't get to is flying my meat back from our elk hunts uh, in October. We had chatted about how I brought home the head and horns and just basically that did that as trick baggage, but had left the meat uh, in Idaho there with you, had it taken care of at a local processor, and then we were going to figure out how to get it home. Um, we ended up using Alaska Airlines air cargo service, uh, and we thought that that was going to be the plan, but we said we we're going to follow up on that. So um, the short story is it went incredibly smooth. It was 115-ish dollars right in there. And uh, you dropped it off on a Monday late afternoon. Uh, it actually flew to Seattle and was there overnight, but Seattle has cold storage. And then I picked it up the next day. So when I picked everything up, it was definitely frozen, rock hard and solid. Um, and it was a pretty painless process. The tricky part though, and I didn't fully realize this going into it, was to ship via air cargo. And this isn't unique to Alaska Airlines, but any of the commercial airlines that do this service is you have to become what's called a known shipper, which is like a, a TSA thing. Um, so obviously just tied to safety, they want to um, have some sort of like security checks on people putting God knows what on a plane. Um, and so to book an air cargo shipment, you have to become a known shipper. When I first started looking at that, um, it said something about it taking two to three weeks to get approved once you completed the application, which you can do online. Um, but I filled out the application and got approval like that day. However, I filled out the application with our business information. And I think that that was helpful because basically the response from TSA was we were a known entity um, already. Not a known shipper for this program, but you know, Exo Mountain Gear was a known registered business entity. And I think that helped expedite the process. You can register and go through that process as an individual. So you can become a known shipper as an individual. But I think it would take longer. Um, maybe that two to three week timeline they quote, or maybe that's just, you know, worst case scenario. I'm not sure because obviously I haven't done it. But just a heads up, if you guys heard us talking about shipping via air cargo um, direct with a commercial airline, you have to become a known shipper first to book a shipment. Separate from that, and this is where it gets confusing, Steve, is there are air cargo services. So you're not booking a, um, you're not booking a shipment on a commercial airliner and using their air cargo service. There's truly just planes if that's all they do is air cargo services they are a known shipper providing the service hmm. and you can book with them but the cost is much higher um, oh, okay it actually had there was a listener that reached out about that as well um, i think he had used the service and i think at some point he mentioned that i think remy warren maybe has a podcast on using that as a service hmm. um, which again is separate than booking through um 
booking through a commercial airline. So anyway, just wanted to follow up because we said we would um, and talk about that, but the cost was reasonable. The service. Yeah, what you were yeah. 75, 80 cents a pound or something like that. I mean, it's, it's yeah. pretty reasonable, man. It was super easy for me. I just literally uh, had the box, put it all in a, a nice box. It was all frozen, double bagged it, um, dropped it off. And, and the guy put a frozen sticker on it and it went literally right out of the back of my truck into a freezer at the hangar. And then they threw it on a plane and two days later it's to you. So it's by yeah. far the cheapest way. I mean, we looked at a f- few different options, just shipping it like FedEx and things like that. And that'd be way, way, way more expensive. So yeah, um, by far the cheapest way for sure. Yeah. And it just depends. I mean, what's kind of cool is you book this shipment ahead of time and you see the schedule. And so I picked, you know, what flight it's going to be on. And, you know, depending on obviously where it's originating and what the destination is, you could have it same day. Um, For me, it ended up being overnight. The only same day option was for it to leave Boise at like five in the morning. And I was just being nice to you, Steve, and didn't want to make you get at the airport (laughs) Uh, (laughs) super early in the morning. So I'd have it that night. But so, yeah, I over it was overnight for me through Seattle. Um, But anyway, when you book a shipment, you you say what it is um it's you know tracked in the system in this case as frozen meat that needs you know priority service and cold storage like all that's kind of booked into the process which is a little bit reassuring to me that it's at least registered what this is and how it should be cared for um and then as you said like drop off for you is easy pick up for me was easy they literally just call you um, when it's there and I was actually there, uh, before they called me just cause again, it's on a commercial airline. You can see the flight schedule. Um, and it, yeah, it was just, it was pretty painless process. The only hiccup, you know, is becoming registered as a known shipper. So if guys want to consider that, um, you know, if you maybe hunt out of state, kind of like I was with you, Steve, where you're hunting with someone, you know, or with a buddy, and this is a trip you do maybe on some sort of repeated basis. Uh, whether that's every year, every few years, it might be worth getting set up as a known shipper because it's going to cost less to do an air cargo shipment than it will be to do checked baggage. Um, So it's worth considering for sure. All right, to dive into listener questions, Steve, we had one that's a good time is, you know, days are short. There's not too much daylight out there, unfortunately, and then the weather's getting bad. This guy wrote in and said, I love to shoot my bow every day, but don't have anywhere to shoot. I can shoot inside in my unfinished basement, but only to four yards. What is the best way to develop good shooting habits and skills without shooting at distance, except for a couple times a month? So first thoughts there, Steve, on making the best use of shooting at, you know, point blank range, essentially. Um, yeah, the, the, I've definitely done that in the past. I just, uh, aim small, miss small, right? <laughs> like, uh, if you, you can just kind of extrapolate say if you want to shoot one inch groups at 20 yards, that means you need to shoot a quarter inch group at five yards. Um, and so I would literally uh, have a target and be, you know, four or five yards and, and uh, just either put a tiny, tiny sticker on there. Or usually I'd take a Sharpie and just make a quarter inch hole uh, or dot and then just aim for that dot. Like if you, if you hit that quarter inch, then that means you shot a one inch group at 20 um, and just, yeah, focus on good form and squeezing the trigger and having a surprise shot um and don't yeah don't just take it for granted right like just really really try to put the entire arrow on that quarter inch dot um and yeah it's every bit as effective and, and good as practices is shooting at you know 40 50 60 yards um and you get a chance to 
focus more on form versus like if you're outside, you're dealing with wind and sunlight and uh, just different conditions where you can kind of just really like hone in on, on your draw form and, and just get a nice squeezer, uh, uh, trigger squeeze. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's all I got. I mean, it's, um, sometimes like I remember when my, uh, my wife was in grad school over outside of Portland a long time ago, I would, uh, you know, go over there and just this little tiny apartment, but, uh, I just put the target in my boat, like in between like multiple walls, uh, like from the living room to the bedroom. So if it did like accidentally go off, it wasn't going to go into the, the neighboring apartment. Uh, and I did that exact same thing. I just shoot over and over and over at a little tiny dot. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I would add to that, and this is probably maybe more specific on, you know, where you're at and kind of your phase of development, if you will, as an archer, it's good to come back to as well is practice shooting without aim period. Um, so literally close your eyes. Obviously if you're doing this, be very close to a good size target. So you can't miss, um, but the whole point there, and if you start to like look online and suggestions and articles and things like that, you'll hear of guys talking about blank bail shooting, um, which is essentially what I'm referring to. But this is something I used to do, especially when I first transitioned from um, a wrist strap, you know, finger trigger release to learning how to shoot a hinge or a back tension release. Um, and then as well as a thumb release using a back tension technique. So um, that's how I started with the hinge was to go out there, be essentially right in front of my target, get to full draw, get comfortable and really learn what it feels like to execute a shot. And I was doing that with my eyes closed. So I don't care if I have any little bit of wobble. I don't care what my aim point is because I'm not looking. I don't care where I hit as long as I safely hit the target. It was all about learning to execute a shot and with a surprise release. Um, again, my context at that point was being self-taught i don't feel like i learned to execute a proper shot well originally when i first started shooting a bow um, and kind of more jerked the trigger punts the trigger what have you so to me this was huge um, to spend a winter for me it was in my garage learning how to execute a shot with a surprise release and not worrying about aim points pin float movement any of that stuff so i kind of separated um, accuracy um and kind of on target results separate from the process. So that's something you can do as well. If you're short on space um, is just kind of go through the process and just worry about your shot execution and not at all worry about where you're hitting. Yeah, I like it. Um, here's one we could probably talk about for a long time, Steve, but it'd be fun to hit on here. The question essentially is, this guy wrote in and said, is ultralight overrated? He says he's struggling <laughs> to find the balance between good quality gear as well as safety and comfort and also having an enjoyable experience and also having a budget. Um, you know, it made me think of, for example, what we talked about last week, Steve, when we talked about Sil Nylon versus Dyneema. And mm. you know, sometimes there's benefits, uh, sometimes there's lighter options, but it isn't always worth it. And so we're always making, uh, I don't want to say, you know, sacrifices if you will or even the word compromises but essentially you are anytime you're looking at gear you're choosing between something that's going to have you know some sort of benefit some sort of price point some sort of pro and con uh, and i think for you steve like just hit on maybe how that's evolved for you over the years because i think 
going back, it was ultralight in a lot of ways, and you could even relate this to product development, but you see over the years where sometimes ultralight isn't the best, even though you still want to be lightweight, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. I mean, overall, weight matters on your back, Uh, and I am always going to be a fan of ultralight. The difference... You know, the difference between a pound, say your pack is 24 or 25 pounds, isn't going to be a big difference. But if you don't start paying attention to your gear and to ounces, those 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 ounces do substantially add up on you um, to where all of a sudden you can be going from 25 to, you know, 33 pounds and you will feel that difference. Um, and I also think it's important to identify how you're hunting, because if you are just Uh, if your plan is to backpack in and set up a base camp, uh, and you're basically dropping all that weight, then no, it doesn't really matter. Right. Like if it's, you're going in on Friday night and your pound, your pack is 45 pounds, but you're going to drop, you know, 30 of those and only pack around 15 of the stuff you need for the day. When you set up a base camp, then, you know, you, you'd absolutely don't need to get ultra light and focus on every little ounce. But, uh, how I've evolved into hunting is just setting up and tearing down camp every day. So it's always on your back. And, you know, over the course of a week long trip, that stuff does add up. So you do, as this guy is kind of alluding to, you do have to find that balance of, you know, a lot of companies now, um, like uh, one that immediately comes to mind is a big Agnes uh, tents. They have like this ultra light series, the crazy light series, the super, super, super crazy light series. Right. Um, and really they're just, you know, at that point, you're just getting really nitpicky on saving, t- you know, tiny amounts of weight. And you're probably from a longevity standpoint, better off with just going with their like ultra light series versus the, the crazy, super, super, super light stuff. Um, cause it's going to be the, almost the exact same designs and just a little bit beefier fabric is what you're getting out of. It and it's going to last you longer. So, um, but yeah, you just need to pay attention to it. You can't just disregard it. Um, you can't say, ah, I, you know, I'm, I'm whatever, I'll just pack an extra 10 pounds. I'm tough. I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter if you're 50 pounds overweight or you're 4% body fat, that extra weight is extra weight and you're going to be packing it the entire time. And it definitely feels different and pulls on you more, right. When it's on your back versus in your body. So, um, it's weight savings is always weight savings. I see guys throw the argument out like, well, this guy's focusing so much on that, but he could lose 10 pounds. And yeah, that's true. But that weight's always on his back regardless, uh, with that pack weight. So, uh, I think it's just important to pay attention to it. Um, but yeah, again, identifying what your budget is, what your hunting style is. And maybe you, you know, maybe if you're don't have, um, money to buy super light gear, maybe you adjust your hunting style to, to fit that. Like, okay, I don't have a, I've got a five pound tent and I've got a three pound sleeping bag. Let's find an area that I can backpack in three miles and set up and then hunt around that, um, versus trying to do something 10 miles deep and hunt with camp on your back all day long. So, um, just identify what you can and can't do and adjust from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I've noticed personally, both in myself as well as just more and more guys that I've hunted with over the years is even the guys who are weight conscious will also have a thing or two that doesn't necessarily make the most sense on the scale, but to them it's worth it. Um, and that's not necessarily like always a heavy item. It could be an extra item. It could be a call it something that's unnecessary, but they want whether, you know, whether it's for comfort or what have you. Right. So not you know, not everybody, and even the guy who says he's lightweight or ultra light, not everybody's always making a, a decision simply on weight alone. But 
But it goes back to what you said, Steve. If you start to throw out, well, this is only a few ounces and that's only a few ounces. If you start with that mindset, you're going to make those quote unquote few ounce uh, allowances on everything. And then that becomes like three, four, five pounds. On the flip side, you can say for an item or two, well, yeah, this is only a few ounces. And technically, yes, like maybe I don't need it, but I just flat out want it and it is comfortable and what have you. So like there, it just, it always does come back to that balance perspective for sure. Um, which is what this guy hit on in the question, you know, yeah. it's yeah, uh, a good example for me is just a, a pillow. <laughs> like I've had that uh, sea to summit pillow. I started packing this year and it weighs two and a half ounces, but that two and a half ounces, I didn't pack in the past. Right. Like, it's mm-hmm. like ah, I don't need a pillow. I'll just, you know, use my puffy or something like that. But on the nights it gets cold. I need to sleep in my puffy. Then I was without a pillow. Um, and, uh, so now I've started packing a pillow and that I get substantially better sleep. Um, the one thing I just a random side note, if someone else experiences this, I'd wake up with like with my shoulder that, you know, I have to sleep on my side and my shoulder would just kill me. Uh, and it's because my shoulder was kind of supporting the weight of my body and my head versus now that I got a pillow, I actually get it pretty firm so that, you know, that all that weight isn't on my shoulder. And some of it's kind of distributed through my neck and head. And I just sleep a lot better that way. Uh, so it's absolutely worth it. And, you know, at the end of a uh, four or five night trip back there, better sleep definitely outweighs two and a half ounces in the pack. Um, mm-hmm. So again, yeah, just look at uh, look at the areas you can save weight and areas that provide some comfort for you. I mean, I think especially if you're talking solo hunting, um, sometimes you just need those little, little things, you know, whether it's like uh, a certain snack at night or whatever. I don't know. I'm trying to struggle to come up with an example, but just those little things to keep your mind right and, and have a positive attitude. Cause a couple, three, four days into a really slow hunt and you're by yourself, it's pretty easy to want to throw on the towel and head home. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great tip. Cause if you're, yeah, you're miserable. It gets back to the, the mind games where you start to talk yourself out of it, where if you carry a little more weight, but you're comfortable, um, you can stay in it for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, he he mentioned safety too. Um, I was trying to think about that aspect. And honestly, the only thing that came to mind is, well, I guess two things. One is if guys are truly skimping, when I hear safety, the first thing that comes into mind is something like an inReach. Um, mm-hmm. If you're talking about a backcountry trip. And I honestly don't know of anyone who wouldn't pack that because of weight alone like there's just not much of a penalty there they're light and most guys understand the importance of it to me this the thing that came in mind with safety was just being too uh, minimal on clothing for the conditions and i think that just goes back to what we've talked about so many times of making that call based on the trip so yes start with um a base gear list including clothing but you know, make those last minute calls based on what the conditions are like. Um, and, you know, sometimes it is okay to leave rain gear at home. That happens a lot. And sometimes it would be unwise to go out there without rain gear. So um, can you think of any other examples, Steve, for safety? Because I, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I default to like a first aid kit. Some guys I know have yeah. a, you know, five pounds of, of first aid gear with them. And, and other guys, I fall into this camp, like, I've got a few band-aids and a bunch of duct tape. Uh, you know, it's like, I think we did a podcast it was probably a couple of years ago where uh, we had a first aid guy on and he kind of was like, you know, really, if it's so bad back there that you require more than duct tape, you're probably SOL anyways. 
uh right like uh i mean if yeah you get the end reach you pushing that button and wrap some duct tape around it and hope somebody shows up in time um it's like there's not much you're gonna gain i mean i think there's some of that quick clot stuff maybe makes a lot of sense i've really never packed that like uh, tyler boschma that you know, i hunt with quite a bit he, he's definitely got a more robust first aid kit but that also comes from military background so um yeah that, that's definitely one that jumps to mind I, i've seen guys just pull out this thing that weighs four or five pounds and other guys um literally some guys just have two band-aids and that's it so um yeah yeah and i, I don't i know the right or wrong answer there it's like it's just up to you on what what you're willing to pack or not pack yeah yeah that's good that just shows my own like leaning to overlooking things when it comes to the first day as well like oh i didn't even think of that because like you i have some tape and i'll that's of course yeah. i'll fine yeah <laughs> yeah we we, uh, we need to probably do better there for sure cool um yeah we'll wrap that one there we got some other questions uh hoping to hit but don't want to run forever and obviously uh we'll be back and answer those if you listeners have anything you want us to cover as always, you can just reach out to podcast at xomontgear.com. Send us that email with a question or a topic. And that could be for a Monday Minute or even, uh, you know, future episode in general. We have, we're in the midst of scheduling a ton of full-length, you know, kind of feature episodes and interviews. So you can always send over suggestions for that as well. Um, yeah, and don't forget this Friday is the sale. So if you guys are interested, um, again, you can just head to exomountaingear.com forward slash newsletter. Um, you'll get our emails and uh, make sure you won't miss it that way. Uh, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the feedback as always, and we will talk to you soon.